Okay, well, welcome everyone to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Here we have one goal, to learn to love like Jesus. I am Wes McAdams, and I am joined today by two of my good friends uh, who have been on the podcast before, but it is wonderful to have them back. The first is Stephen Cuffel. Welcome, brother. Thanks for having me. Great to have you, man. Uh, and then also Caleb Cochran. Welcome, brother. I'm glad to be here, too. Thank you guys for joining me. I'm I'm really I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, it's something that I think preachers talk a lot about um, in in private. Maybe we talk amongst each other or, or with each other about this topic. Uh, I know that ministry staff talks about this a lot. I know that preachers and their elders a lot of times will talk about this topic. But I don't know that that the the church in general gets to to hear some thoughts on this topic. So I'm really hopeful that this discussion can serve as sort of a resource uh, for men who are leading communion focus, uh, which I consider one of the most important jobs in a worship assembly to preside over the Lord's Supper, to offer some thoughts and the prayers to help guide and lead our minds before we take uh, the Lord's Supper, incredibly important uh, task and role and responsibility. And, and so we just, I think, want to offer some helpful advice, some things that that we think might be good to, to mention and to do, and some things also to avoid when we're, when we're leading in that capacity. Uh, and Stephen has done an amazing job at sort of outlining some things for us to think about as we go through this. So we're just going to kind of go through the list that Stephen helped put together and, um, and talk about each one of these. So the first one, the first section is on things to avoid. And the first point was distracting stories. So avoiding distracting stories, distracting facts, uh, things like that. So Stephen, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you and, and, and get you to sort of flesh that out for just for a little bit on, on what do we mean by distracting stories or, or facts? I guess the temptation when we uh, come together to focus on something is to try and draw from lots of different places, um, maybe to, to come up with something new or something uh, to try and hook people in. And in in a focused setting, it seems like sometimes that that itself becomes the focus. For example, I remember one time somebody spent about 10 minutes talking about the different recipes for bread found in the Bible. And at the end of the day, you know, when, when we're sitting there and I'm listening to him going through about all the ingredients in the bread in Exodus 12, and then how that changes over time until you get to the large thin wafers in the New Testament. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that helped me focus on Jesus at all. <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things that might be really cool, but I don't know how that helps me focus on what I'm doing here in, in, in supposed to be doing with the Lord's Supper. And so those, that's kind of the idea that, that I think of when I think of like distracting stories or facts. Yeah. And, and I've heard so many times um, people that offer sort of personal stories and personal anecdotes, and, and maybe, maybe preachers are setting the precedent because a lot of times when we have 20 or 30 minutes to spend in our sermons, a lot of times we will throw in some personal anecdotes. We'll throw in some personal stories as a way to sort of, as you said, hook the audience and get them engaged in what we're saying. Uh, but it's different when you've got 
only a few minutes to to help focus people's minds. And then you spend the majority of that time focused on, as you said, maybe some interesting facts uh, or maybe a personal story, but not necessarily what we're supposed to be focused on. Caleb, do you have any other thoughts on on sort of those distracting stories or or things that people include that maybe they shouldn't? Yeah, I'll just echo a lot of what, what Stephen said, that I, I think it's really easy to go off on trails that don't really help on the focus for the Lord's Supper, uh, that they they may be interested. I mean, so some, like you say, <laughs> recipes for bread that may not be very interesting, but other things that could be interesting, but aren't aren't really relevant to what we're doing when there, there could be so many more things that could be said in a much shorter way and a much more meaningful way uh, to keep the focus where it needs to be. One of the things, Stephen, that you put on your outline as sort of a sub point to this one was the idea of gory details. Um, and, and that's something that I've, I've heard a lot, whether it's somebody who's talking about a sacrificial lamb and the gory details of the blood of the lamb being spilled, or even the gory details of the cross. Uh, any thoughts on on why that might be something we want to avoid when we're doing the Lord's Supper? Yeah, I, I think there are uh, maybe there, maybe there's a time and a place where that's appropriate. And what what tends to happen in my experience is when we talk about these gory details, it's almost like we're trying to shock people, and the point of the supper is not to shock people. Uh, you're assuming assuming that everybody who is going to be partaking of it is, is a believer. They know the gospel. They know that Christ is crucified. They know that he's raised from the dead. And having somebody stand in front of me and talk for 10 minutes about the process of, of scourging and what that does to you medically and, and all of the things that are going to happen, it kind of gets back into, you know, that, that's, that might be interesting, but it's, it's really distracting right now. And now all I can think of is that I can't think of all the other things that I'm supposed to be focusing on. And I, I mean, there's been a couple times where people have gone through this and it almost makes you sick. And I'm not sure that that's the purpose of this. Uh, and so that that's kind of the thought that I have is anytime something takes over the focus of the supper and now we're fixated on this other thing instead of on what is supposed to happen you know, Jesus is able to talk about his blood shed uh, for the forgiveness of sins without getting into all sorts of gory details. I, I think we can do that too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the second thing on the list is speaking for a long time, and and we've touched on time already a couple of a couple of times in in this discussion. Uh, so let's talk about how long this should go or why we need to be mindful of the of the clock when we're when we're leading people's minds in the Lord's Supper focus. So Caleb, what do you think about about the time that we spend on this? Well, I know this may be coming from uh, us as preachers perspective, but uh, <laughs> I know that when we start looking at that clock and thinking, okay, I, I think his thoughts may go a little longer than my sermon today, or at least how long that uh, uh, I may have have left for my sermon whenever we're done. Uh, and I don't mean that to to be flippant or just to say this this is about our service is about my sermon. That's, that's really not what we want it to be about. But we do need to understand you're not really there to preach an, uh, another sermon. You know, a preacher has spent an entire week, you know, he, he's been designated to to do that uh, in preparation for that. That, in my opinion, at least, is not what 
communion preparation thoughts should be, uh, they, um, they, they need to be, they need to be more concise. And like you were saying, you may have more time to get into some other things. Uh, but one thing I would say, just some, some practical application of that would be not to look at multiple long passages and, and I've seen that happen. And I, I've seen, you know, reading of 12 to 15 verse passages, three or four different ones in the same preparation. And I don't, I, again, I don't know that that you, you cannot be one thing that you cannot, you can't be, it, it, it's not a comprehensive exposition of everything related to the death of Jesus or everything about what the communion means. I, I think you've got to keep it focused. You got to find something, some element that you're attaching our, our thoughts to this time, and whether it is something about the death of Jesus, whether it is something about the fellowship of the church. But it's it's focused. It's it's just helping lead into to what we are what we're thinking through. It's you can't cover everything in in one time. Yeah, it, it really kind of in a, in a way goes back to what Stephen started with about distractions that. I think that when it goes, I always say, when you go so long that people are thinking about the clock instead of the cross, you, you've done something wrong. When, when we're distracted by the length instead of by the content, if people come away saying that sure was a long communion focus, then we, we failed in what we were trying to accomplish. We were trying to help them to focus on the cross, but instead everybody's thinking about the clock. They're thinking about how long it took. And so if we're distracting people instead of helping them to focus, we're doing the very opposite of what we what we intended to do. Uh, let's let's go ahead and go to the third one. And the third thing to avoid on the list here is false analogies. Uh, and I I love the fact, Stephen, that you didn't say avoid analogies because there can be some really good analogies that we can draw in this time together. But you said false analogies. What did you have in mind there? I think it was you who brought up the idea of sometimes you'll hear people say, uh, and in fact, I just saw this the other day in a poster. Um, you know, the soldiers have died for your freedom and Jesus died for your sins, uh, coupling those things together. And, and that's, you know, not to take away from sacrifices that families and individuals have made. That's not the point. The point is that those are not analog. You know, those are not analogous. Uh, there is nobody's death who does what Christ's death has done. And in a sense, Again, we're, we're distracting people and we're taking their thoughts away from the cross and away from what we're supposed to be focusing on into politics and, and wars and, and maybe people they know who have passed away or, or who, who died in combat or something like that. And so it's, it's an analogy that, that does the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. First of all, it, it's not a true, it's not a good analogy. And secondly, it's distracting. Um, and so that, that was kind of the idea. Uh, people have asked. Well, I'll, I'll just leave that there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and and to add to that and to echo that, I I cringe really truly every time Memorial Day and Veterans Day sort of rolls around because I'm afraid this is going to be the analogy that's drawn, and and really it it really flies in the face in so many ways to the gospel itself because as we often preach the the people of Jesus' day were likely expecting a Messiah who would be a soldier, who would come with a sword drawn to kill, 
and not to be killed, to willingly, like a lamb led to the slaughter, allow himself to be killed, not as a soldier who, a soldier when he goes to the battlefield doesn't want to die, doesn't expect to die. He may be willing to die, but he doesn't want to die. He wants to make someone else die uh, in, in his place rather than offering himself on behalf of someone else. And so, again, that's that's not to, to speak demeaningly about soldiers, but it is to say that to tie these two together is to really miss what Jesus was doing, because he didn't go out there as a soldier to take life, but to give his life. Um, and, and, and really, uh, again, to your point about distractions, it does distract us, and it, it can really give us the wrong idea about about what Jesus is doing. Caleb, any other thoughts on on false analogies, or 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 the point that that that's being made, or maybe even a, a different analogy that you've seen? Yeah, just just to clarify, I, I've seen analogies that that can be used well, um, something like this. Um, but uh, th- there are some keys there, and the Bible Bible includes. Analogies, you know that there are uh, there are um, the whole idea of a parable is something that you cast alongside. I mean that, that that's that's an analogy in a sense. You, you're putting it out there as as something that can be relatable to people that still teaches principles that you can you can put next to, and there there are at least parallels on some level. Um, so we know Jesus used those to teach. And I would say that there are, even if you study the Bible as a whole, there are many stories that work as analogous to the death of Jesus in some sense. Uh, that I mean, just think of Abraham and Isaac, uh, for example, from Genesis 22, where you have a, a story of, of, you know, where, where there's a lot of elements that do parallel uh, what was going to happen with Jesus on the cross that anticipates that. But I think it's key that the Bible calls moments like that, calls them shadows calls them types or shadows, which means that if you look at a shadow, you're looking at something that can teach you a lot. It can teach you a lot about the form, the basic outline, the, the shape, uh, but it is not the substance in and of itself. And we need to make sure if we're going to use any analogy, whether it's a story from the Bible, whether it's a fictional story, whether it's a real life story that may have some principles of substitution or of sacrifice or, or something else, we need to make sure that the focus is not on the shadow. We need to emphasize that the shadow itself is a shadow and it is incomplete. It is that, that Jesus is the substance. Uh, he is reality where nothing else is complete. We get you know maybe hints of the gospel in other real life events and these other things, but, but none of them are what Jesus is. He is unique. So I, I do think that maybe... One of the keys to avoiding false analogies is to make sure uh, we are not putting the focus on something else, that we're using something else to try to help us to see Jesus, but to see that what Jesus has done is different both in kind and in degree. So we, we've got to make sure that comes across. That's such a great point. And I, I think that if we're going to to use those analogies or metaphors, uh, similarities, that as much as we draw out the similarity, we have to, as you said, draw out the differences too. And that may be the most important thing that we do is to draw out the differences. So if someone was to use a soldier, and I'm not suggesting that anybody do that, but the thing that I would hope they would draw out more than anything is 
the the lack of violence in Jesus and the willingness to offer his life and to not be the sort of soldier king, the sort of warrior king that they were expecting, but to be the the Lamb of God who was willing to to give up his life. So if they're going to draw a parallel, I hope that they would draw out the differences more than the similarities so as you said that that uniqueness there i i've often looked at the the judges and the accounts of the judges and talked about you could take someone like samson and there's so many similarities between jesus and samson but there's also so many differences and the differences are what makes the the parallel so contrast and and we could say well samson was was strong and he was mighty and he was born miraculously you know you could draw out these different these different similarities but the differences are what makes jesus so beautiful and so unique and i hope that if if anyone does take the opportunity to to draw a parallel that they'll they'll draw out how Jesus is is better in every single way. Um, yes. So let's let's kind of move away from the things to avoid and focus on the things to do. And, and I think Stephen, you you had a really good note of consideration in your list, and that's that there are purposes besides just remembering the death. That there are other things mentioned. Um, I've I've gotten pushback from Christians at times who've said, no, 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 we shouldn't be thinking about anything except the cross. Like, that's the only thing that you can think about during the Lord's Supper, uh, drawing on 1 Corinthians 11. You can only think about the cross. You can only think about his death. Um, but but I think that when we, we talk about these things, there are so many other things that we can and should think about as we prepare to share the bread, the bread and the cup. So the first one is obviously to talk about Jesus and focus on him. So in what way can we talk about Jesus? In what way can we focus on him? Uh, Caleb, we'll start with you. And uh, what do you think when we, we talk about Jesus, what are some of the facets or some of the different nuances that we can draw out as we help people to, to think about Jesus? Yeah, well, again, it's not just about uh, as important as his crucifixion is. We have a whole life of Jesus in the Gospels to, to draw from, and there are other events from the life of Jesus that are that definitely bring us in more in line with who he is. And what we have, I mean, I'm just thinking just off off top of my head, just something like seeing in Jesus, Jesus as the vine. Uh, I mean, that's John 15, just, just as a passage where he, here's a passage that is about how we're all tied, the connection that we have to Jesus and that we don't have life outside of that, but also the connections that we have with each other in Jesus. And that's a lot of what we're celebrating, which I know we'll talk about more in a moment in the, in the Lord's Supper. So that's a passage that someone can use as a reflection passage. Keep it focused. Keep, keep you know, just a really brief introduction to what a vine is, what the branches are. There's you an analogy, but it's one that, that you, is used by Jesus himself uh, that draws us into reflecting on what we have with each other and, and, and with with Jesus. But uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot about the character of Jesus himself that can help lead us in, into the supper. Yeah, absolutely. Stephen, what else would you would you add to that? What other things about Jesus could we draw out to help people focus there? I, I like uh, John 6, where Jesus talks about himself being the bread of life that comes down uh, out of heaven. 
And there he kind of gets a lot. You get a lot of the things we've talked about. You get an analogy. You get him talking about the shadow, the the bread in the will, you know, in the wilderness, and he is the fulfillment of that. And and it it is more than than just his death. It it encompasses everything he did, like you mentioned just a minute ago. It, it, then he is the bread that is that sustains us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's the whole thing that makes him this bread of life that comes down out of heaven. Um, and I, I've gotten some of the same pushback where people are like, no, this is only about his death. And it's interesting that, that you don't see that right, in history. You don't see it in the New Testament. It's, it's like everything is wrapped up in, in this, uh, this person. It's the whole package, this person, Jesus. It is his, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, all of these things are celebrated in this moment. And the way that I kind of help people see that is the word remembrance that is used. You know, we have that carved in the front of all of our tables, do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. That word remembrance means more than to think back on. It, it kind of carries with it the connotation of to bring the past into the present. Like you, you bring it to you, it becomes real now. And when I think about Christ becoming real to me now, in the Lord's Supper, what is it that I need to be real about Jesus? I I need more than his death to be real. I need his life, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. I need all of that. And in that moment where we're focused on Jesus, what a great time to remind everybody that he is the reason why we're here. All of those things, the, the totality of who he was, that's why we're here. And so that may be some way that we could help people see that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I love that you pointed out that word remembrance. I I preached a sermon not too long ago, and and I pointed out that there's a difference, at least in my mind, there's a difference between reminder and remembrance. That a reminder is something there so that you don't forget. And a remembrance is something that you do because you haven't forgotten. It's something that you do because you remember. We we don't do this because we're like, oh, I I forgot all about Jesus. I forgot all about what he did for me. We do it because we remember who he is and who we are as we take this this supper. And I think I think too, it's it's one thing to think back on who Jesus was in his earthly ministry and the things that he did, past tense. But I think one of the things we don't often think about in the Lord's Supper or throughout our lives is his present ministry as our high priest, something the book of Hebrews talks about at length. And I think that's such a great thing to draw out when we're preparing to take the Lord's Supper is to remember that he is right now, presently, living as our high priest, that he is interceding for us even at this very moment through his one sacrifice for all time. And and we don't often, because we live in the modern world, we don't often think about the necessity of a priest mediating or interceding for us. Uh, but the first century world, they would have been so aware of their need for someone to Act as a mediate, as a as a mediator, as an intercessor between them and God, and and what a beautiful, wonderful thing it is that our 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 big brother, our our Lord, our Messiah is is living and reigning as our high priest right now. Um, the another thing, a second thing on the list here is to to talk about the supper itself and to focus on on the supper. Uh, so, Stephen, when you when you said that, what what do you have in mind there? 
it may be a little bit because of my background, but it's that idea like you talked about um, the remembrance is different than a reminder. Uh, the early church talked about this thing called the communion of saints, which I think we'll get into in a little bit. And, and that idea has been warped through time. But there is a sense in which you and I, even though we aren't with one another, we're sitting down in a sense at the same table. When we do this, we're, we're, we're coming to Christ uh, touching on that thought of him being the high priest, you know, he, he's with us at the table. And throughout the scriptures, you see God is constantly having meals with his people. When Jesus talks about heaven, it's described as a feast. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a theme all throughout the scripture. And this is like the penultimate feast. I, I picture myself sitting down to a meal with the Lord here, here it is. This is what everything has been pointing to this moment in history that I get to be a part of. And so there's a sense in which in my mind, when I'm thinking through it, I, I don't picture myself as taking the Lord's Supper again. Like this isn't the 4,000th time I'm taking it, but I'm doing it at the first time. And so there's the sense in which that's kind of how I think of focusing on the supper is when Christ sits down, you know, there's this phrase that I used to hear a lot when we would have an evening serving. They would say, it's been left prepared. Um, I don't think it's been left. <laughs> you know, there's this sense in which we're coming we're coming to it, to the supper. Uh, and that helps me kind of tie everything in Scripture together. And sometimes we lose focus of on that idea, that just the amazing thought that I am getting to sit at a table with Christ and partake in this meal with him. And that, to me, that's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And and it reminds me about the the Passover itself that that is so intimately tied to what we do in the Last Supper or in the in the Lord's Supper because of the Last Supper that was tied to the Passover meal before that, yes. and how the Israelites and the Jewish people didn't necessarily think of themselves as having another Passover, but as being part of the original Passover, as being part yes. of the group who were brought out of slavery and into freedom, and and how now through Christ we are participating in that that supper in the upper room, and and I love that I love that thought, Stephen. Caleb, any any thoughts that you would add to that about focusing on the supper itself? Yeah, I heard someone say once when people object to celebrating. The Lord's Supper together weekly, he said, "If are you you really want to tell me if Jesus invited you to come and eat with him, that you would think doing that once a week was too much, <laughs> was too often?" Mm-hmm. And I think about yeah, I think the presence of of Jesus, even though I know Christians you know, believers have maybe slightly different understandings of of how Jesus is present in that moment. Um, I, I do think that we can see from Scripture that that in some sense, Jesus is among us. Um, I, I think of, of in Revelation, the letters to the churches, and the one where Jesus calls himself the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, he walks among the churches. He, he is there with us when we're singing. He's there with us when we commune together. And that's certainly something we need to, to bring out. This is his supper. <laughs> There's a reason it's called the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it is one of the ways that we declare that he is our Lord. Uh, and that's that's another aspect of this, is that we are submitting to his lordship. 
uh, that when in this moment. And that's, that ties in who he is as a person, his entire character, and who we are as, as his people. Yeah, that's so good. I, that's so rich. Everything that that you guys have said about helping us to think about Jesus, and then helping us to think about the meal, and then connecting those two ideas together. In that we are we are sharing a meal with a real person, with a living person. Yes, deity for sure, deity, but a real person, a real man, our Lord Jesus, um, and 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 loving him and getting the opportunity to to rejoice with him and banquet with him. What an amazing thing that is. And then to tie that to the third idea, which is to to think about the church, that we're not just communing with Jesus, we are also communing with each other. So let's talk about helping people to think about the church and the appropriateness of thinking about each other as we eat that meal. What, what do you think about that, Caleb? Yeah, when I look at 1 Corinthians 11, and so, so many different directions maybe, that this, that even just in this one passage that gives us to where our focus can be and should be, and I think that's just, just shows how rich this moment is. Uh, that it is it is looking back to what Jesus has done, but like what y'all been talking about, it is bringing that into the present. It is, but th- there's certainly a component where I look inward because that there is in First Corinthians eleven, it speaks in twenty eight about examining yourself. But then you read the rest of the chapter, and it goes on. It talks about judging the body rightly, and then it talks about the relationships between people. And maybe some of the things that the Corinthian church in particular were, were not putting into practice of what the supper should represent, uh, their, their fellowship together, their communion together. And when we use that word communion, uh, that, that is the same Greek word for fellowship. Uh, it, it is one of the, not the only, but one of the ultimate expressions, or like you said, Stephen, the penultimate, the penultimate expression, really, of, of fellowship. It's an anticipation of, of the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will have. So it's the closest thing to that that we're going to have in this this age uh, that, that we are in. And so that aspect of fellowship with fellow Christians, that's, that's something I don't hear enough of when I'm hearing thoughts that, that prepare our congregations for communion. And that's not to take away from the cross. It's directly tied to the cross. It's just that this is a huge part of it too. It is what the if Jesus really has purchased with His blood on the cross, purchased the church, then what what does that mean for our relationships together? And how do we judge the body, the body of Christ? And, and I I think it's more talking about the communal body in that context because you go on in chapter twelve, it's definitely talking about the body of of Christ as an analogy to help us understand the idea of a human body, to understand many, many parts, many body parts, many members of that body, but one body. So there, there is that idea of the diversity of who we are and the different gifts that we bring and the differences that we have, but all sharing in the oneness of Jesus. So I, I would love to see more Lord's Supper thoughts that lead us to think about our relationships with the brothers and sisters around us. Uh, things like, are, are we in conflict with brothers and sisters, conflict that we haven't tried to address yet? And uh, how, you know, thinking through reconciliation of that, thinking about intercessory prayer on behalf of one another, of, of sins that are going on in each other's lives, of burdens that others are bearing, 
that that we can intercede for on their behalf. That that's something there. Um, other things that um, I, I, just loving accountability that that we have toward each other. Uh, that that's and that's part of how I'm examining myself, not just for my own sake, but as I am a member of the collective body of Christ, and how my actions during the week leading up to this moment, and my understanding of this supper right now, how that's all interrelated with everyone else's. So th- this is definitely in our individualistic culture. Uh, this is something we, we put so much focus on the individual. This is a moment that is a collective. It's a communal moment more than anything else. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you brought this up because I think this is so pivotal and so often ignored and, and not part. And I think you're exactly right. I think it's because of our individualistic culture in which we live, where our, our thoughts and our mind are centered on our own personal relationship with Jesus and what he has done for us personally. And I think there's a place for that. There's a place for personal reflection. There's a place for introspection, but there's also a, a place for thinking about each other. And I, I totally agree with what you said about discerning the body from 1 Corinthians 11. He even talks about the body in chapter 10, and then he talks about it again in chapter 12, talking about the church. And chapter 11 is all about division. I often say that his point about the Lord's Supper isn't to a distracted church, it's to a divided church. We often act like what Paul is talking about is don't get distracted when you're taking the Lord's Supper. What he's saying is don't be divided when you're taking the Lord's Supper. Think about each other, wait for each other, take this together, share this together. And and I, I, I thought about during the pandemic, um, as so many people were and, and everybody has their own thoughts about whether or not you could even take it with your own family or whether or not you need to be with a, uh, a church group. But one of the things that dawned on me is that as, as groups were fairly small during the pandemic, as they shared the bread and the cup, and they had to think about their, their larger church family with whom they were disconnected during that time, it dawned on me that that's always the case. That, that as I take the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning, I'm not with either of you, but I am with you. And I need to think about how Paul says in chapter 10 about uh, the Passover, about the, or rather about the, the Israelites coming out of, out of Egypt and, and sharing and participating in the, same, in the same sharing of the loaf and the sharing of the cup, that we're all taking of the one loaf and the one cup. And he's not even in Corinth, but he says all of us together have one loaf and one cup. And and so throughout the world, all of us are sharing the bread and the cup, and we have to be mindful of each other throughout the world. I think it's it's good for us to bring up our missionaries mm-hmm. and and places we support on other on the other side of the world and people were were disconnected with physically, but when we share this bread and cup, we're together as we as we do this. Stephen, what else would you add to that as we think about the the body, the the family? Yeah, I'm I'm glad that y'all brought this up and I thought the way that you and Caleb described it is beautiful. Um, one of the thing that pulls on my, things that pulls on my heart when we do this is the division that exists between Christians that ought not to be there. And I think of, of that image of us all coming to the table and how many people at the table would be strangers to me or, uh, you know, like a family meal where you get together maybe for one of the holidays 
and there's there's bad blood between family members and how tense and awkward that is and nobody enjoys it this is a family meal where the lord's family is coming together and it shouldn't be that awkward weirdness that exists this is what should draw us together and remind us that hey you're a family and you need to stop fighting about things that don't matter and you need to start forgiving and loving one another and and coming to the table together and so I'm glad y'all brought this up because it absolutely, this is one of the central elements of the unity and harmony that we ought to have as believers is that that we eat together every week, whether we realize it or not, we're, we all come together for this meal and it should draw us together because of what Christ has done. And let, let me and just, I, would be jump, all... I was going to jump in there and, and just, just say, I know that you, you, we may get this more in a moment, but because we're all family and because this is a celebration feast, it's okay to smile as well <laughs> during the communion time. It's okay to, to you know, like, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to, it's not a funeral. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that we, we can smile about. We can look around at our brothers and sisters and have joy in our hearts that we're all part of the same body together. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up too. I think there's a whole range of emotion and thought that can and should be part of this. It doesn't mean that that whole range of emotion and and thought has to be involved in every communion focus. Focus on one, focus on one emotion, focus on one thought, focus on one passage, but but there can be a variety of different things that we bring up as we thought about division. It, it strikes me that that there is an appropriate time for even admonishment and rebuke as a part of the Lord's Supper focus. I, I, I don't think it would be inappropriate, especially for an elder, a shepherd, to get up and say, listen, church, I, I've seen some of the things that you've posted on Facebook this week, and I've seen how you've talked to each other, and I've seen the division that exists, and this supper should remind us that that's inappropriate that it's inappropriate to hate your brother during the week, to despise your brother during the week, to be divided with your brother during the week, and then come here and pretend to have this unity and to share this bread and cup, whatever it is. But I, I think it's appropriate to remind us, rebuke us, humble us, uh, admonish us when we come to this supper, because it should do all of those things. It should encourage us, it should inspire us, but it should also humble us at times and remind us, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together, it's for the worse, not the better. That when you come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper that you're taking. So if if our people are divided and there's fighting going on, they need to be told, if, if you're fighting during the week and then you're sharing the supper, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're taking. It's something else. And and, and stop pretending. It's not for the better. You're not, you're not any better because you took this than you were before. Uh, that if we're going to go through the the ceremony of unity then we need to live out that unity throughout the week um let, let's let's end on this this point about some applicable passages in the Bible that we can use besides 1 Corinthians 11 we've mentioned 1 Corinthians 11 several times and that tends to be the passage that gets read appropriately so uh, but what other passages can be read and and discussed as we focus on the Lord's Supper Stephen let's start with you on that one I'll give you my favorite one. Uh, it's actually Hebrews 12, where the contrast is made between Mount Sinai, where the Lord's thundering presence came down and all the people were afraid. 
and they didn't want anything to do with God. You know, Moses, you go talk to him. We're going to stay back here. And then the writer in Hebrews 12 says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. And so there's this image of what does it mean to be part of this kingdom? It means that now I'm, I'm not afraid of God any longer. He's my father, Christ, my brother, the, the spirit, uh, my life. And I have been revived and redeemed. And I have come to a, a festival, a, a feast with not only all of my brothers and si sisters, the, the angels in heaven, all of those who magnify God. And it's here. It's this moment. The, it's it's almost like all of the feasts in the Bible, the the supper of the Lamb. This is it. I'm experiencing it in a, in a small way now, but this is the meal. You know, here it is, and we're we're going to, in a sense, walk into this together in, into eternity, whatever that looks like, and, and it's going to be amazing. And sometimes when I think about it, and we were talking about emotions, you know, this passage is full of joy and and thanksgiving. And I think sometimes that's missing. But if we would focus on this, uh, as well as some other passages, we can see that it's more than just uh, sorrow, but it also includes these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how how it's it's a totality that that is being presented there, that it's not myopic in just focusing on the cross, because yes, yes. he gave himself, but what are the results of him giving himself? What are the results of his sacrifice? And he's not dead. He's alive. He's resurrected. And, and we're part of this supper. So I love that whole range, that whole gambit that's included there. Caleb, what else, what other passages or thoughts would you have us to, to bring out in this, this time together? Yeah, there's so much that's related to the results of what's been accomplished uh, on the cross. Uh, that you know, we put so much focus on on the suffering and what happens in the moment, and and that's that's appropriate. But like I said, I think of Ephesians chapter two as a great communion passage. I'm thinking specifically verses eleven through sixteen. It talks about how these two different groups, you know, Jew and Gentile, which I think can apply to even other groups that may be at odds with each other. At least the principles apply. Mm -hmm. It says in his body, you know, on the cross, in his flesh, he's he's abolishing enmity. He's bringing reconciliation. He's bringing peace where there once was division. I mean, that's 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 huge. I mean, that's that's what's being accomplished at the cross, so that we can share communion together as diverse as we are. So someone could stand up and could could read just those six verses and have just some short thoughts about reflecting on how different we are in this room right now from one another. And yet look at what we can share because of what Jesus has accomplished. Uh, you could go to Ephesians 4 and talk about uh, the diverse gifts that we have and, and the unity that we can have in Jesus. Uh, I also think there in 1 Corinthians, we, put, we often go to 1 Corinthians 11. If you go to 1 Corinthians 10, you talk about how th there's even a moment for admonishing us, get us to think about something. The focus of 1 Corinthians 10 that leads into that first mention of, of communion together uh, is a context of idolatry, of don't, don't be worshiping other things. We're here to worship worship God. Don't And look at what Israel fell into, all the different ways that they were putting things in, in place of God in their lives. And let's not fall into the same thing. So let's reflect on any idols and, and let's bring those, let's, let's give those over in this moment so that we are not participants with the tables of demons, as he says there, uh, or any potential idols that we give ourselves to, and 
sharers in the table of Christ at the same time. Let this truly be the Lord's Supper. Let him have the Lordship. So I think there are, there are all kinds of ways that we that we're not just forcing passages to fit. They are they are directly relevant to the Lord's Supper if we'll just have our eyes open to see that a little more. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Caleb and Stephen, thank you guys so very much for your thoughts on this. I, I really think that this will help encourage uh, some of our brothers in Christ as they as they lead our our different brothers and sisters, our siblings all over the world, uh, as they uh, focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and who we are because of what Jesus has done. And 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 I I know that that we would all say that that. It's not that we want that that time together to be shortchanged or to be abbreviated. In fact, I love when we can devote an entire service to the Lord's Supper and to preparing our minds and taking it. And I really wish that in the church we would spend more than an hour in worship or or just a few moments in in taking the Lord's Supper. I wish we would devote more time to it. But however much time we devote to it, I think we have to be intentional. And I think that these ideas and thoughts help us to be more intentional as we as we take the supper. So thank you guys for being part of this discussion. It's been rich. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.